So thanks again, everyone. And as I mentioned, I want to talk about uh, impermanence. The other morning, Thursday morning, uh, my mor at morning meditation, because I teach Thursday and I teach um, Saturday. And I had no idea what I was going to teach this week, so I asked for requests, and somebody requested uh, impermanence, and so here we are. And uh, it's funny, because I, I pulled out my notes from the other times I've taught this, and the last time I taught it a year, year and a half ago, it was by request also. So I guess it must be popular, because that person didn't come to class, they just had a request, but that's fine, it doesn't matter. And impermanence is one of the three, in Buddhist teaching, impermanence is one of the three characteristics of existence. There is uh, impermanence, there is dukkha, which is that life is unsatisfactory, and when we try and hold, we hold on to things that are impermanent, uh, trying to find permanent happiness, there's going to be dissatisfaction, suffering. And that there is no fixed self. We're all, we're all conditioned beings. We're conditioned by our upbringing. We're conditioned by who our parents were. We're conditioned by the society we're in, what we look like, uh, all kinds of things. And, and we shift and we change and throughout the years. There's no little fixed Mary inside of me. There is a shifting and a changing. And if you look at your own life, uh, I look at my life and I am not who I was Thank goodness, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Thankfully, I've, I've um, shed some of that, that delusion uh, or, or cleared away some of that delusion so that I can see more clearly, and I don't suffer as much. So um, it's, I, these, these characteristics are incredibly important, and impermanence is one of them. Um, and it's really funny, when I was looking back at my notes, I was reminded each New Year's Eve we do a, 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 an intention ceremony. I've been doing this for a really long time. And my intention for New Year's 2020 was to become more intimate with impermanence. And then, of course, we all remember 2020. And <laughs> boy, that was a, a, a huge lesson in impermanence. Here, life, out the window. So how do we work with that? So that, that, was, um, that made me laugh. I still laugh at that. It's like, damn. Um, so I've been reflecting on impermanence, especially on Thursday. I was thinking about it a lot since it was what I wanted to be talking about. And I went to, that morning I went for a hike in a place I'd never been before. Not far away, but um, some folks I know had been there and posted pictures, and it was really beautiful. And so I, I went up there, and it was just gorgeous. It was uh actually not far from here in the Hollywood Hills, but it's this park and it was oak trees and a lake and a duck pond and turtles and it was just gorgeous. I walked up there and I was just like, whoa. The the beauty of it was uh, was quite stunning and, and I walked around. It was just lovely. And what I noticed while I was walking around was that really, it was so pleasant and I watched the mind trying to attach to it and the mind trying to say, oh, I really want to stay here, and I know I can't stay here because I have to get back, I have things to do, but how can I hold on to this feeling? How can I cling to this feeling so I still have it when I'm back in the concrete jungle, you know, 20 minutes away? Um, and to recognize that, because we have those cravings for the pleasant. We have that desire to keep things all the way they are if we like them. And a lot of times it's not conscious, but it's there. 
Like if I wasn't paying attention, I probably would have had that sub unconscious desire to just to, to cling to that and it could have been like, oh, why can't I stay here? Why can't I come here every day? Whatever, whatever whining would start going on in my mind so that it, I couldn't keep it, that longing. Um, and when we're not aware of the flavor of our experience, sometimes we chase it to get it back. Like, when can I come back there? Blah, 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 blah. I even have that. I came home and told my husband, I go, we're going next week. We're not going on the weekend. It's too crowded. We're going next week. So I already want to go back there. Um, and, you know, in a couple of weeks ago, I went to a, a concert with the Four Tops and the Temptations, who were really popular when I was growing up, Motown. And I think I cried through half the show because there was so much emotion that just showed up. And it was really, it was pleasant. It was like, wow, look at this. But, um, you know, I was talking to a friend about it because she had, she hesitates to go to those shows of old bands that were popular when we were younger because she was afraid of that getting lost in that place. Like I used to get lost in this place of, of, uh, not just nostalgia, but, you know, this longing and um, crying over what could have been, you know, what it was like and if onlys and what ifs and turn something that was pleasant into something, you know, craving for something to have lasted so many decades, you know, I wish I could have that, that, you know, creating a golden age in my mind that, you know, it wasn't a golden age. It was not a golden age. It was just very familiar music that brought up a lot of memories and, and pleasant memories. And it was like, okay, here they are. Um, you know, it was funny. When I was driving back, I heard a, a song by, it's like, of course, you're paying attention, so everything is, like, related to it. I heard the song Slip Sliding Away by Paul Simon. And I don't know if I ever listened to the lyrics to that song before, but there's one um one set of lyrics he's singing about a woman talking about a good day is when it doesn't rain and she said a bad day is when I lie in bed and think of things that might have been you know and it's like ah oh, that's that that clinging that craving that longing instead of recognizing that you know things end things shift things change and so this willingness to be present for impermanence for the for the passing away of the pleasant you know and the and the same um the same relationship that we can have with that is this is the same thing is true when we don't like what's happening you know there may be this sense of wanting things to change and i'm not talking about um big things like the pandemic or a difficult situation but but little things that may be harder to spot um, like irritation several times a day. We're just irritated by certain things, slow people on the freeway, annoying people. In, there was a, I went to the supermarket yesterday, and the people, two women together in front of me, and every single thing they had, they bought, was in a paper bag, a plastic bag. Like they put a bottle of kombucha in a plastic bag and a bag of flour in a plastic bag, and it was just extraordinary. And I was, again, watching my mind, watching the irritation rise. And it could, could move in and take shape. If I'm not paying attention, that stuff takes over. And the judging and the why won't they, instead of recognizing, this is going to pass. 
this is they're going to check out it may take longer than normally it does it where am i going if i get to my house three minutes faster than it's going to take i always ask the question will i live happily ever after but when we're not no but when we're not paying attention we get caught in that you know instead of letting things run their cars i can i can recognize it in others but really really sometimes difficult to recognize it in myself um so impatience or uh, excuse me impatience impermanence anicca i love the word anicca i often dream on retreats that i'm going to have anicca tattooed here and anatta which is not self tattooed here and no dukkha tattooed on me anywhere because that's suffering anyway um so now to, to just touch on what the traditional teachings talk about uh, impermanence in the suttas and the discourses, really, you know, one of, the, one of the core teachings about this is all conditioned things are impermanent. Impermanent are all conditioned things. They arise and cease. That is their nature. They come into being and they pass away. And release from this conditioning is, is bliss supreme. So to let go, the conditioning is often this craving for pleasure and this aversion to unpleasant. You know, so if, it's, if it's pleasant, I want it. If it's not pleasant, I don't want it. And we get caught in this, this game of preferences. I want this, I don't want that. We get into judging mind. This is good, this is bad. Then it gets into value judgments, all these things. And then that's that creates this, this, this push and pull and this suffering that we get caught up in. Um, so to let, when we let go of that, when we're able to let go of that and let that fall away, our preconceived ideas about things, that's when we move into this state of calm, this state of bliss, this state of nibbana eventually, which is cessation of clinging. And everything, Another, another core teaching around this is everything is subject to death and decay, whether it takes a moment or thousands of years. I mean, there's some insects that only last hours. I think their lifespan is hours. I don't know what that is, but I know there's some that are just days or weeks. Um, and then other things like trees, like the trees that they've been trying to save during these fires, the sequoias and the redwoods, they last, they're, they're thousands of years old. Thousands of years. So A, I might not see in my lifetime the beginning and the ending of something. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We have such a, such a, uh, uh, a self-centered attitude. If it's like I can't see it, then it doesn't exist. And it's, but that's not true. It's, it's, it's happening whether I know it or not. Um, so there's the teaching around the five remembrances to help us remember that we are impermanent. Just as all things are impermanent, so are we, because we're really attached to this idea of not being impermanent, of, of if I just do it right, this consumerist society we live in tells us that if we do X, Y, or Z, we're going to live forever, or we're going to prolong our aging. We're going to work around aging. I, I heard this story. No, I didn't hear this story. I was listening to... Um, some show on NPR years and years and years ago. I was on my, in my car, and they're having a conversation. And I, I'm just remembering the bare bones of it, but the gist of it is, like, seared into my mind. Somebody was talking about dying, you know, and then, let's just say, and then you die. And then the moderator was saying, well, thank you. Now can we have a more optimistic point of view? And I'm like, 
just like you we're gonna die we're gonna like there's like there's an option to that so to the five remembrances we are all of the nature to grow old to get sick to die Everything we have in love will be taken from us, and all we have are our actions. All we have are what we do in this moment in front of us. That's all we have. That's absolutely it. So when we can become comfortable with this idea of impermanence, it's, it's, it's not so jarring. We don't fight against it so much. You know, it's, it's the, the First Noble Truth talks about this. It, it, there's a... Um, Birth is suffering, death is suffering. And so to come into awareness of the fragility of the human body, I talked a couple of weeks ago about the human condition, about the reality of our existence, that we will die. There's cemetery meditations, there's charnel ground meditations, there's um, you know, a meditation on the elements of the body, the 32 parts of the body. And these practices bring impermanence and Nietzsche into full focus. You know, we have to fight off this myth of immortality. The brain wants to go there, too. I, you know, I facilitate a year-to-live classes. I've been doing it for years and years and years and years and years. Um, so I, I'm really aware of death. It's kind of part of my, my waking awareness. And I still have this little thing in my brain that says, Ooh, I can still do this. That means I will live, blah, blah, blah. And I just have to laugh because the brain, its, it's job is survival. But to recognize that the, it's, it's going to not go. It's gonna, there's going to come a day. So, um, and around, the, so there's that piece of impermanence. We're all going to go someday. Everything has to go. But when we um, have a difficult time letting go of what's pleasant and not in the big picture our lives are going to end but just letting go of what's what's shiny and what's pretty and things like that the buddha says sometimes we become intoxicated with the pleasant you know he talks about when he was talking about his his early life he was intoxicated with his privileged life because he was born into a privileged family so the story goes um and when we let this intoxication with the privileged way of life or the pleasant drop away, then we can be with things as they are. My, one of my favorite definitions of equanimity, which is this ease with whatever our experience is, is to be fully intimate with our experience without preference. It doesn't have to be pleasant. It doesn't matter if it's unpleasant. We can just be with it. And recognizing that things come and things go. You know, we're often entranced by that pleasant and want things to stay the same. Um, I remember when I was a kid going to an amusement park and, you know, we're going on Saturday and all week long I'd be like, I want to, can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. And then we'd get there and I'd spend the whole time, it's only four more hours, only three more hours, only two more hours. And so I was like so worried about this ending and aware of the impermanence of the experience that I, you know, and averse to it ending, that I missed out on it. Because I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. and I, I could do that a lot. I think um, Brene Brown calls that uh, foreboding joy, you know, where we're just pushing, we, we realize what we like is going to end, so we're not allowing ourselves almost to enjoy it in the moment. 
And we miss out on so much because we're worried about it ending that we're missing the moment of, of, of pleasantness, of joy that's actually here. Um, uh, I love also the idea, the teaching of taking birth as, um, I think Joseph Goldstein talks about this, I can't remember, a number of teachers do, because it, takes, takes, it puts things into perspective. If I want something, if I see something I want, I take birth as a person who wants, and I, I be, take birth as a person who becomes entranced by or intoxicated by this thing that I think will bring me pleasure. And if I don't recognize, oh, I'm caught up in this craving, then I get stuck there. And I'm like, I must have this. And we start running our lives based on this idea, based on this scenario that we think will make us happy forever. And instead of just realizing, it's like, you know what? I might have this. I may not have this. And can I let it go? Mm -hmm. I take as a person who wants a toy, an ice cream cone, world peace. And if I get what I want, again, I'll live happily ever after. This is the way it should be. But it doesn't work that way. And can we just, you know, kind of step back and have a little bit more ease? We think these transitory things will fix us and keep us happy, which is an absolute denial of impermanence and a root of suffering. It's the dukkha of anicca, the suffering of impermanence. Impermanence doesn't have to be suffering unless we don't, uh, unless we cling to what's going away. I remember even being at times uh, holding some. Um, unpleasant emotions and watching them pass by I mean actually seeing them pass by and then going oh wait no and tr pulling them back thinking no no this feels really good and not letting things pass because I was so used to them or whatever because they serve some kind of twisted purpose anyway I was used to feeling shitty let me put it that way that's probably what it was um you know, there's the teachings of the eight worldly winds, which is also about impermanence. There's pleasure, there's pain, there's gain, there's loss, there's win, uh, there's gain. I always start getting confused. There's pleasure and pain, gain and loss, um, praise and blame, fame and ill repute. And we all experience them just because we're human beings. This, this is going to happen. There's going to be praise, there's going to be blame. I'm going to sit here and all those things are gonna to happen to me. I'm just gonna sit here and it's gonna happen. So there, you know, let, fighting it, um, holding on to it, it doesn't help. Um, and there's a, there's a sutta uh, that talks about this and they talk about the noble disciple is who's the person who's familiar with the teachings of the Buddha and an uninstructed worldling, which is someone who's walking around in delusion, caught up in greed and hatred and delusion. And the noble disciple understands that pleasant will change to unpleasant, that gains will change to loss, happiness will change to unhappiness, and then they'll change back. But the noble disciple understands this, and because he understands, he will not suffer. If we don't understand the fundamental nature of experience, we will suffer. This extra level of suffering that's above and beyond the discomfort and the pain we experience as just being human beings walking through this world. Because we're caught in delusion if we think things won't end. It doesn't mean we don't experience joy, but 
we don't suffer when the joy passes. And it reminded me of the a story about Ajahn Chah, who's the monk in the Thai forest tradition. They talk about his broken cup. It's a very, very famous story where he, he tends to use his cup all the time, and his monks point it out, saying, "We look. it looks like you're a little attached to that. And he goes, yeah, but it's already broken. Well, Thursday, when I was setting up for my class, I noticed this um, ball on the floor, uh, which is this really cool little... Um, sparkly can you see it it's this really sparkly thing I had hanging off my bookcase which I really like and it was on the floor and I picked it up and I saw the other side of it it smashed because the cats were up there going because that's what they yeah that's what you do so I looked at this and I went oh it's broken and I've had this for years and um and the this piece was like the, a bunch of different pieces. It was like, throw that away. That's not salvageable. But it was like, I can just go, oh, well, which is what I like to say. It's like, oh, well, there you go. There you go. I have a, I have a, I have a word tattooed on my leg. It's an Arabic word. It's malish, malish. And it's, um, it's a reminder that shit happens. Things change. Stuff, beautiful things end. Bad things end. Things come and go. How do I maintain equilibrium and equanimity with the reality of impermanence? William Bridges um, wrote a couple of books, one called Transition and another called The Way of Transition, talking about, basically, talking about the impermanence of life and things end and and we're uncomfortable when things end and we want something else to start. We want to move. And he said, actually, things are changing all the time at a deep level, but we're not aware of it. We want certainty, not groundlessness. You know, we want to know. That's the root of fundamentalism. People want to have an answer. They want to know how it's going to work. If I do this, this will happen. Whereas we don't know. That's what, you know, get, I have a planning mind. We, we get stuck in planning mind, trying to figure it out. If, if I do this, then this will happen. If I do that, then that will happen. But what if this happens and that will happen? Yeah, we have to do plans. We have to make plans, obviously, but not be so attached to them, so hold, rigidly holding on to them. That doesn't work. We make plans and then we go with the flow. You know, we, we recognize that certainty and um, assuredness is never going to, nothing, it's all an illusion. All our plans are an illusion. They're all fabrications of the mind. Might have a pretty good sense of what's going to happen, but letting go of all those particular details. And um, another, uh, another piece of this awareness of impermanence is... Um, awareness of the internal changes that we have going on a lot of the time our perceptions our feelings the mental formations are all constantly arising and passing you know allow them to come and go that's where this practice of mindfulness comes in that's where we begin to see the arising and passing the feelings arising and passing that's where I learned to experience you know reconnecting with the body because we feel our emotions in the body oftentimes before we are cognizant of them mentally. 
And oftentimes there can be a disconnect. We can feel the emotion in the body and then the head says, no, 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 not okay, not okay because of our conditioning, because of what we were taught or what we believe. And we push them down, push them down, push them down. So they're there, but we're like, la, 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 not, 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 I'm not going to experience this. So the willingness to be present for the emotions as they arise, feeling anger arise, feeling grief arise, feeling joy arise, wherever they show up in our bodies, and then allowing the mind to say, oh yeah, hi there. Nothing's forbidden. There are no, we, we make space for everything because we're fully aware of the coming and going. We can't stop the tides. So be open to the tide. It's so much easier to be with the unpleasant experiences than to try and fend them off. Fending them off just intensifies it. You're just kicking the can down the street. You're going to have to deal with it at a later date. Um, and as I said, mindfulness is our training ground to be present for these, seeing the nuance of emotion seeing the nuance of impermanence, the arising and passing of all the different sensations that come and go. You know, thoughts come and go. You know, they hang out when we um, hold on to them. So sometimes people talk about this, well, if things are so impermanent, why bother this sense of nihilism? And it's like, why bother? The only thing with that is that has, a, that has a flavor of aversion to it. That has a flavor of bypassing things. Oh, why bother? Oh, it's only going to go away. Oh, I don't have to get involved. It's like, no, we are fully involved. We are interconnected. We are part of this world we live in, and we can't get away from it. Um, we, we can't run away from impermanence, and we have to be fully engaged with the world in which we live. Otherwise, we're just kind of putting up barriers somehow or other, hiding ourselves from this or that or the other thing. So um, instead, we embrace change and say, you know, right now it's like this. Give our full attention to each moment. Be present for each moment. What's going on right now? How can I be with this? You know? And then that, when we can do that, there's clarity that arises. There's wisdom that arises when we em embrace these three characteristics, not just impermanence, but also um, no self and, and suffering, the suffering of being a human being. And when we have that clarity and we have that wisdom and we're open to whatever is present, what we allow for is the arising of compassion and kindness. You know, it's not this aversive, okay, I'm going to gird myself. It's like, wow, here it comes, you know. Everyone experiences these things, and so we have compassion for ourselves, and when we have compassion for ourselves, we begin to have compassion and empathy for others. Absolutely. And again, it's this mindfulness practice that allows that. It has an impact on the brain that, that, that triggers those empathetic neurons. I don't know if that's what it triggers. I don't speak neuroscience so fluently, but that's what it does. Um, you know, and we, we, uh, we have that, that kindness and compassion, as I said, for ourselves and for others, recognizing that we're all in this together. We all experience impermanence and, and, and suffering. So what we have to recognize is that change, impermanence, is impartial. 
It's always happening. You know, recognition, recognition doesn't mean there's happiness all the time, but it means that we can be at ease with it. We don't have to take things personally. And when you can embrace it and be open to the discomfort of living in this realm with the, with the coming and going of, of, of pleasant and unpleasant, praise and blame, pleasure and pain, there's an ease, there's a contentment because we're fully present, we're fully present with this breath. The seven factors of awakening talk about that. We're mindful, we're paying attention, we're investigating, what is this? Oh, this is what's happening right now. There's a loss happening. Oh, that's painful, can I be compassionate? We make the effort to stay present. And even with unpleasant experiences, there's this ease. I've, I've had this experience. I talk to lots of people who've had this experience. It, it may be unpleasant, but there's a steadiness that's there. Because I don't think I have to do something about it. I trust it'll just unfold. And I just deal with, I, I, come, I come to it with the appropriate response. What's the appropriate response right now? That's what I bring. Do I have to make phone calls? Do I have to arrange things? That's what I do. Do I have to sit and sit in the dark and cry? Then that's what I do. What's the appropriate response? Do I dance? Do I sing? Do I jump up and down? What's the appropriate response? And we begin to trust the wisdom because we've gotten rid of, we've cleared away a lot of the delusion that has kept us from being fully present to what's right here. So... Anyway, my friends, thank you so much. I want to leave you with a couple of questions to reflect on, you know, about how do you sit with ambiguity and change, and how do you deny or greet impermanence in your life? So with that, I thank you for, again, as always, for your kind attention. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.